Good morning. Here's what I love about our Episcopal tradition. We're not alone in this. Other flavors of Christianity also recognize 12 days of Christmas, but we get to celebrate Christmas for 12 days. And for 11 of those 12 days, at least, there are very few expectations and very little pressure. So Merry Christmas. Yesterday's behind us now, and on which was the first day of Christmas. And on Christmas Eve and on the first day of Christmas, we celebrate Jesus' birthday. And the celebration, uh, the centerpiece of that celebration is a story. This story, this wonderful story that we all know, the story from the Gospel of Luke about a miraculous birth that took place in a barn because there was no room at the inn even for a mother in labor. And in that account, we heard about shepherds, angels, the heavenly host, a star as bright as the sun, and a promise of peace on earth. It's a story that speaks directly to the humanity of Jesus, and I think it speaks in ways that our human embodied hearts can hear it. And when you heard the story, didn't you just want to hold that baby and feel its warmth? Didn't you want to, when we lit candles and sang Silent Night, could you smell the barn in all of its ripe barnness? And didn't the star shine in your mind's eye? Or better yet, didn't the star shine in your heart? And today, the Sunday following Christmas, we get to hear this, this sort of wordy, cerebral prologue, what's known as the prologue to John's Gospel. What is this, anyway? Is it a poem? Is it a piece of theology? Is it a philosophical argument? It's been described as all those things. Does it even make any sense? I mean, have we heard it so many times that any sense that it might convey gets lost because it's so familiar? Well, I've been thinking these past few days that maybe this prologue to John, what it, what it really is, is a song. And it's a song that John sings for us just for the joy of singing. So these are the two sides of being a Christian that I love. The two sides of Christmas and the two sides of people. Part of us is down here on the earth in the barn. Among the other animals of creation in these bodies that we've been given. Through no merit or choice of our own these bodies in this world, in all of its complexity and mystery, this sensual, physical world that we all live in that's so well evoked in Luke's gospel. And part of me lives in the equally human world of words, ideas, arguments, 
music, poetry, conversation, faith. That is the word, the world, and the word of the first verses of the book of John. And I think it's so wonderful that we're all here together today on this Sunday between Christmas and Epiphany, between Christmas and New Year's, balanced on the cusp of a new year, in that place where we often find ourselves, that place of almost, but not quite. I think that it's a big part of the Christian message that we humans are complicated beings and that we have both feet in the barn and our heads in the clouds and that we're animals that love and laugh and weep, human animals in search of meaning and yes, in search of redemption and that God our creator is also the answer to our human predicament. The word and specifically the word become flesh, Jesus the Christ, offers no simple solution, but he does offer an answer to our search for meaning. It's not a simple answer. A simple answer would be, well, too simple. So on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we heard the story of the birth of Jesus as the Messiah, the Anointed One, destined to lead Israel out of the darkness and into the light of freedom, born human, destined, as we all are, to walk this earth, to eat and sleep and laugh and weep and die a human death. He disappointed all the expectations that the Jews had for their anointed one, yet he brought those who could see and hear something far better. And on this second Sunday of the season of Christmas, the second day of the season of Christmas, this in-between day, we hear the story that starts not with the birth of a baby, but with the beginning. I mean, the very beginning, like the beginning of time. And John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Do you hear an echo here, an echo of the creation story from Genesis that goes, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and the darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Well, in the Genesis story, in the beginning, God spoke light into being. Isn't that wonderful? God spoke light into being. And then God went on to speak all of creation into being. I have no problem with this account of creation because I'm sure that the authors of Genesis weren't offering us a scientific explanation of how the universe came to be, but rather they're 
offering us a much subtler and more important explanation of why the universe came into being. Big Bang, evolution, natural selection, none of these or any other scientific theories are either proven nor disproven in Scripture or by faith. Faith addresses our yearning for meanings. Faith listens for the song of the word. John heard the word repeated in Jesus. He heard the word echoing down through all the centuries that his people had worshipped and tried to live in harmony with their God. And he didn't sugarcoat the difficulties of the relationship that his people had with God. In fact, he points out that God's light shining in the world can either be seen or just as easily ignored. God's love, the word, can either be heard or not heard. He was in the world, John tells us, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was, to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. And I don't hear any judgment here in, in this statement from John, just a statement of fact, that, that God chose to imbue this crazy universe that science so skillfully describes with life at all is remarkable. Even more unlikely, God chose to imbue with breath and intelligence the lives that human beings live here in the barn on earth. Even more remarkably, God imbued each one of us who woke up in Jackson Hole this morning to, what, six or eight inches of new snow. God imbued each one of us on this day between yesterday and tomorrow with breath and life. That's us. That's just how blessed we are. And here's the message that Jesus brought. Have faith that God gave us life as nothing more or less than a gift of love and act accordingly. Here's the thing about this wordy, cerebral message at the beginning of John. Jesus brought the message, and Jesus, alive, loving, and active in our lives, is the message. The message isn't just words, something that we hear, although it may well start with our hearing. The message is something that we, like Jesus, must embody that is, live out in our lives, through our lives together. Sandra M. Scheidners wrote an essay called The Gospels and the Reader that got me thinking about the word and the message and about how this somewhat abstract piece from John, beautiful as it is, might become real, for, which me, for, for me, which means might become embodied. So what if the world, what if the word is like a musical score? 
you've got one in front of you on your bulletins. You've got our opening hymn, for instance, Angels from the Realms of Glory. And if you look at that on your bulletins, what do you see? You see lines and notes and words on paper. Do you find that beautiful or moving? Well, probably not, unless maybe you're a professional musician. After all, it's just marks on paper. Until, that is, Ron hits it on the organ, Haley jumps up to the mic and leads us in song. Then the music encoded on the page becomes real. It becomes beautiful and moving, and it actually means something because we can feel it. And what if the Word made flesh, Jesus, the Christ, only becomes real in us and through us? What if the love of God that we read about and hear about and talk about becomes sung out by us in our lives together. If we were put here in these bodies at this time on earth for any other reason than to make God's mysterious love for us real for each other, real for ourselves and the world, well, if we weren't put here exactly for that reason, I don't know why we were put here. And I have faith that we were put here to hear the word, the word that is love. And that's not all. If we hear the word, Jesus, the Christ, God's love for us and for all creation, born to us again and again, what can we do but respond? Respond and sing and dance out the word with our bodies and our hearts and our minds? You know, the world might think we're crazy, mucking around in the barn, singing about stars and a baby, singing about words made flesh, our heads and our hearts on fire with the cosmic word that passes all human understanding, doing our best to spread a little love. Yeah, the world might think we're crazy, and I'm okay with that. It's a good crazy, right? So, sisters and brothers, we've got 10 more days of Christmas, and now that the beautiful hubbub is over, the work, the dance continues. Tomorrow, or soon at any rate, the old routine will kick in, as it always does, and that's a good thing too. Christmas all year long, would be exhausting, right? But let's hold on to that baby and to the word for just a little longer and ponder them in our hearts. Let's take the gifts that we've been giving, that we've been given, the loving word of truth and light, and take that with us back into the world. John tells us that we've already been given everything that we need. 
It's quite a promise. John says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Amen.